0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the PMP Podcast. I'm your host, RJ Isaac. Now today, I get to sit down with Nathan Bush. Nathan Bush runs a property management company called Red Maples LLC in St. Louis, Missouri. He's also a property management consultant and has a wealth of knowledge from everything to do with selecting great tenants and good owners to work with all the way down to hiring top talent. This is a great episode that you will not want to miss. So stick with me on the PMP Podcast. Well, thank you so much, Nathan, for joining me today here on the PNB Podcast. I'm really excited to talk with you. I was looking at your website earlier and it really seems like you have your hands in a lot of different things have quite the breadth of experience so it's um it's a real treat to have you here
1: oh thanks for having me rj i really appreciate it and uh, i you know i love property management so i'm happy to talk about it anytime
0: great um so i first want to start off what is your background how did you get into property management
1: Sure. So a while ago, um, I was recruited by a friend in a networking group to collect rent for his 725 unit apartment community. And so that was how I got my start. I went door to door collecting rent in a very tough neighborhood. Um, I had to post signs on on the outside of the door saying, hey, you owe us money. And during that time frame, I created Um, Dave Ramsey was real popular at the time, and I created uh, Seven Baby Steps to Rental Freedom. And I utilized Dave Ramsey's tool of the Seven Baby Steps to Financial Freedom and helped walk tenants through that. And it was interesting because those tenants started learning how to save money and put money aside and actually started paying their rent more and more on time. So I have found that in the property management industry, when you care about people, it has a huge impact on the returns that you get.
0: That is that is really cool. And it's actually something that we've spoken before on this podcast. Um, those episodes haven't been published, so I'm not gonna hold it against you for not seeing those. Um, but yeah, it's it's we we talked before about the importance of treating tenants like people. And and it seems like it it's obviously they are people. Uh, but I see so often within the industry that you have a lot of people who have very negative views about tenants and that again, these comments about tenants always lie, tenants never tell the truth, all those sorts of negative things that people say about tenants. And in my experience, um, i found the exact same thing, that well, when you start talking to tenants with respect and, and dignity and show them that same respect and dignity and understand this is their home you're managing, it makes a big impact on the way people treat you and the way the interaction happens.
1: Well, that's the whole thing. Like, but The problem is, is that as property managers, you spend most of your time with the people who don't pay their rent, the people who tear up the property, like you, the mm-hmm. high turnover tenants. These are the ones that you deal with on you know, on a regular basis if you don't do things right from the beginning. Here's mm-hmm. the big deal. If you really vet your tenants and you screen them like you say you do, you don't end up with these challenges. I had a, ho- a house down in uh, uh, South St. Louis where people are like, oh, you can't find good tenants down in South St. Louis. 750 credit score. Like, you can find them if you do the right marketing, the right advertising, and do the right things, care about your tenants, build a good reputation in your community. Like, look, people want to live in our Red Maples homes. They want to mm-hmm. be there. And so that's a big difference. They know that we care about them. They know we take the extra effort.
0: And when they see that we care about their property, they care even more. That, uh, again, you, you've taken, taken the words right out of my mouth. Um, I've, I've said almost the exact same thing um, in, in these previous episodes. And its I'm really happy to hear that there are more people out there who are talking about this. And this is, was was a big reason why I wanted to start this podcast is uh, there's so many people that have this negative view about property managers. And it, it ends up becoming this this two-way street where you have a lot of property managers who have these negative views about tenants, tenants have negative views about property managers, and it just creates a whole bunch of headaches. And to to your point that you just made, when you when you are doing things the right way and, and it builds up this, this level of trust, um, for example, if someone goes and submits a maintenance request and says, hey, my toilet is leaking, and you respond to that within the first 24 hours, right away, you get to it um, and you get someone out there quickly, they fix it, no issues, and it's a seamless process to them. Then the next time that there's issues, they're just gonna understand that you're gonna take care of it. When you start doing it where someone reports a problem and it takes a week or even a month in some cases to get someone out there to look at the problem, that just makes it where st- they start losing trust in your ability to actually do your job. And when Wait. that happens, it just starts on it starts unraveling more and more problems because now they don't trust you to do things, they're gonna start sending more maintenance requests, more issues, complaining more, posting bad comments on places and it just becomes more of a headache and just your question
1: your question has to be are you a slumlord or are you a real estate investor (laughs) are you a slumlord or are you a property manager like there's a major disconnect between people understand like you can't put profits over people profit come from people and so Uh by treating people correctly and doing the right (laughs) things it's amazing how much more revenue and how much You can ask for bigger rent increases when you actually take care of people. You can, you can, look, I had a tenant one time and every Christmas, this was in a personal owned property of mine. Every Christmas, December timeframe, we would give them December off, right? And I was renting Mm -hmm. a little bit below market rate, not, not too far below market rate, but a little bit below market rate. And we would give them every December, we would give them their rent free. I installed a new dishwasher for this person just because, like the one was getting old, I knew it was getting old, we were proactive, we installed a new dishwasher for them. This tenant, I went out and bought them their washer and dryer, which means I have to maintain it now, right? Like I get Mm -hmm. that and understand that, but I bought them a washer dryer, bought them their dishwasher, gave them Christmas off every single year. And then what was interesting is about five years later, because a tenant stayed with me for five years, Five years later, I sold the house above market price, and the person who bought the house from me actually had to bring additional money beyond what the loan would allow for because they wanted the property because it was in such good condition.
0: Wow, wow that that's really that's that's a great example of of the importance of taking care of the properties and and how I guess one of the issues I also see um, kind of going into this idea of um are you a slumlord or a property investor is how a lot of times you have the owners who they just want to put in cheap materials into the property they they want to put in the the oh the blinds are damaged let's put in the cheapest blinds we can because tenants don't take care of things and in my experience the response i typically hear from tenants is that if the tenant if the owner isn't wanting to take care of the property and isn't caring to put nice things in the property why should i care about the property too and this is a great example where if you actually do care about the property and you have good tenants, I mean, um, and, and I'm not going to say good tenants as like the, the most amazing tenants ever. I'm just saying, look, you sometimes you have bad tenants in, in properties and, and that's an issue that's to be addressed separately. But when you start showing the tenants that you actually care about the property that, that they're living in, they're going to start taking care of it more. They're going to appreciate it way more. And it's going to, again, build that better relationship.
1: Yeah, well, let me go against the uh, Grant Cardone's and the Robert Kiyosaki's (laughs) and the gurus of the world that are out there right now preaching that everybody should own real estate and everybody Uh should invest in real estate. Not everybody should be a real estate investor. Like, Uh talk to your financial planner, get things in place on what you want to do, have other advisors other than the person who's selling you the course on property management. Like, get (laughs) other people in place that can help you make good financial decisions because You can get rich with real estate, but you can't get rich quick in real estate. The people Uh that do, you know, maybe there's some luck involved. Maybe there's some timing involved with that. Maybe they had really good mentors. I don't know. But you're not going to get rich right away in real estate. It's a long-term business. And people will always say, RJ, they'll say location, location, location in real estate, right? That's the number one thing is location. And I would tell you and argue that in some ways it's condition, condition, condition. condition of the property, the condition that you treat your tenants with, the conditions that you have in your lease. And so a lot of people that are living on location, location, location are just saying stay out of bad areas. Well, you can make money in bad areas. You can make money in good areas. You can lose money in good locations in real estate. And so I think it's really important that you not only look at the location of the property, you not only make the decision that not everybody should be a real estate investor, but also understand that it's the conditions that you're applying. Look, I know business is a system of systems, meaning that the, the better systems I have in place, the better outcomes I get. That's why we have laws in society, right? We have laws in place for society so that people don't run through stop signs and hit me while I'm trying to cross. Same is true. It's to my benefit to follow the rules. There's people that are out there right now trying to skirt municipalities and trying to get around the government and, oh, I can't believe I have to pay this tax or I'm trying to get my taxes down in this area. And look, I'm not saying don't do some of those things. But I am saying that if that's you and that's your mentality and that's the only way you can think, then real estate's not a sure thing for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're, if you're so focused on, on the bottom line, and just and it's it's all about numbers the thing i like about real estate is i love buildings i i just i love going into houses and and seeing the way they're put together and the similarities the differences i i just i love the the actual buildings themselves and this is something that that just appeals to me but if you're looking at it in terms of oh, i'm just going to focus on all the numbers and and the profits and the losses and and what are some ways that I can go and start skimming off a couple points here and there to try and and improve the the prop the, the the performance of the asset um it's not entirely bad to do that obviously you want to make sure that you aren't missing out on some opportunities but if you start doing that and sacrificing all these other things that on paper will look like it is an expense that's going to look like it's it's a problem that needs to be corrected then you're not going to be able to have the asset perform as well as you would otherwise. And this is a, a perfect example of it.
1: Yeah, RJ, you do need to be prudent with your finances. I don't think yeah. that we're saying that you don't need to be prudent. But I yeah. will tell you the good book in Ephesians four two says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient and bear with one another in love. And so if we do those things the right way, it's amazing how what blessings come our way.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I uh, I never knew that Paul was a uh, a real estate investor um, at I, heart. So
1: then you were all real estate <laughs> investors. They were investing <laughs> in real estate, trying to win the, the real estate of your soul.
0: <laughs> uh, good point. Um, I do. So I want to actually circle back to something that you just said um, earlier in the podcast. Uh, you made the the comment that uh, that you could always get good tenants that um it's all about just doing proper screening and all these things and i am i i think that you can increase your odds but again there's always going to be the cases where things happen things go south and, and and there's just these these um unexpected situations um have you had some experiences like that as well or do you have a secret formula for finding the perfect tenants that i'm just not aware of
1: so both. So I'll give you, I'll give you yeah. a horror story, and then I'll give you the, the outcome or what, what you can do in order to, to solve the problem of not finding good tenants. So well, one of the properties that we had, we found a good tenant for. We, they had a 725 credit score, and they were, we were trying to get them in. And um, the home had originally uh, not passed inspection, so we had listed the property or leased the property ahead of time before we had it passed the municipal inspection. And in St. Louis, you have to have a past municipal inspection so a tenant can go get an occupancy permit to move into the home. So this particular home had not passed inspection, but we had made a mistake and listed the property before the home had passed inspection. And so because we're trying to cut down times, we're focused on KPIs, we're doing the right thing for the investors, trying to make sure we shorten the the time frame from turnover to move in. And here's the problem. I found a tenant, great qualified tenant, and then the municipality won't pass the inspection. We go to the initial inspection, they fail it. So we do a bunch of work to it. We meet all the obligations on the list. They won't give us any information as to what it is on the actual list that needs to be done. They just give us a list and cite some code and say you need to fix it. So we do. And then they fail the second inspection. We're like, okay, that's fine. We'll get it reinspected the whole nine yards. They come mm-hmm. back out, they fail the third inspection on this home. And so that's, that's the whole inspection process starting over. So now we come back out and they fail the fourth inspection. Now it's 60 days that this tenant has had a hold placed on this home and they're not moving into the property. Oh, wow. So you want to know the resolution on this? The resolution yeah. is I wouldn't want to go through that ever again. And I clearly made a mistake. I'm humble enough and understanding enough to admit when, I'm, when I do something wrong. We give the tenant their money back plus some. Mm-hmm. We get the home passed inspection. We release the home. But then we don't make the same mistake again. So now we don't have tenants that are sitting there waiting. They're trying to get into a home in St. Louis are our past municipal inspection. You can say, well, as an investor, aren't you losing money because every day that home doesn't have a tenant placed in it? Here's the problem. I'm losing even more goodwill if I have to wait for that tenant to be able to move into the property. So treating people how I'd want to be treated, treating them like they're my family, caring about them through that process when they're calling frustrated about that situation that they were going through, that's what keeps the good name and good reputation of why people want to lease our homes from us.
0: You know mm-hmm. that's um so um, I have to ask, what was the problem at the end of it all that you needed to fix to get the home to pass inspection?
1: Quite frankly, I just think that in that this situation, that inspectors no longer in that municipality anymore, but I just don't think the inspector was getting along well with us. like I think there <laughs> was some type of disagreement where we were trying to ask for clarification and this particular inspector didn't want to provide any clarification at all and so wow. that can that can be a challenge
0: wow man that that is a that is a really uh a, a terrible situation um did how how did the tenant in this situation react did they start blasting you on social media or do anything like that or were well, they um cooperative and and? You know we're
1: proactive in communication so we're reaching out to the tenant letting them know what's going on through their move-in process on a regular basis um the tenant was they were understanding and compassionate about the situation, but they needed a place to live, right? So, th- yeah. thankfully, in that in that situation, we were able to get them their money back quickly, they were happy about it, they didn't have anything negative to say about it, we didn't try to force them to move into a different property of ours uh, mm-hmm. under the circumstances. What's interesting is I actually got a referral from that tenant uh, to a different property of ours for a relative
0: that he had. Oh, wow, that that really says a lot, that you have a tenant go through a situation like that, and. They start referring to you. Uh, yeah, clearly you are you are doing something right there. So um as far have you had any situations though where the the tenant has turned that, that you thought was a really good tenant and then it turned out to be a bad situation, um, and any red flags that you learned from that experience?
1: Not not recently. So, you know, the the worst tenants that we have now as a third party institutional style asset manager for for small multifamily investors. The worst tenants that we have now are inherited tenants, meaning that they bought a property with tenants in place and we didn't have the opportunity to place those tenants. Uh, I think our eviction rate over the last year has been less than two people have actually had to go through an entire eviction that we actually placed. Uh, Turnover costs on our properties of the properties that we actually have placed tenants in are virtually Negligible. They're maybe twenty-two hundred bucks, twenty-one hundred dollars on a turnover, which is nothing right now um, compared to what I see whenever they're inherited tenants. And so, and so uh, a while, but a while back, before we got the hang of this, um, years ago when I worked for other management organizations, didn't understand the approval process, wasn't involved in it. I just turned my lease applications over to a property manager and let them pick out the tenant. Uh, years ago, I would find the absolute worst situations where tenants had gone through after they left and were evicted and busted holes in walls. I had gone, you go through the property and you see the hoarder properties where stuff stacked up because the manager doesn't walk their properties on a quarterly basis. You know, you see the situations where the dog had had uh, accidents all over the basement floor. These are nightmare situations and these are because. Managers, in my opinion, didn't do the proper screening and preventative work that it takes in order to make sure you maintain properties long term.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, on the management that you do right now, um, do you manage just your your own properties, or do you manage properties for other investors?
1: Uh, We've managed both, so we have a mix. So we have a couple, you know, a number of small multifamily units that uh, properties that we own. Uh, and then we manage
0: third party for uh, a, a bunch of different investors here, wealthy in St. Louis. Okay. And so I'm curious um, how often do you, so first of all, do you um, include inspections within your pricing structure or is that something that's separate? And if you do include it, or I mean, what do you see as the, the ideal amount of time that someone should be doing property inspections?
1: Yeah. So we include quarterly walks as part of our property management seat.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so, and then, okay, so you do it quarterly, okay. Um, do you get a lot of uh, pushback on the on the quarterly inspections or are people generally very open and, and willing to have you do those property inspections?
1: Um, I think that maybe the first inspection, sometimes when a tenant's new, we mm-hmm. might get a little bit of pushback, like, hey, why are you guys doing this? But when you set proper expectations with people, which I think is a major mistake that a lot, I mean, if you're looking for a pro tip today, something to take away, something actionable, it's be proactive with your tenants before they move into the property. Go over the information with them. Tell them what you're going to do. Tell them about your management. Tell them about your maintenance. Tell them about how they need to pay. Tell them about your evictions. Go over that information with them prior to them moving into the home. And don't just try to do it in a letter. Actually explain it to them. And then whenever they, so then that sets proper expectations. So they're not surprised by something that happens later on. Tell them how to file a work order, tell them how to pay their rent, like make sure they know.
0: Yeah. Oh, that that is one of the things that um, at, at a, a company I used to work for in South Dakota, one of the things I did is I established this way to do, this um, almost a sales process for doing move-ins where we'd have this whole packet put together and we'd be very specific about like the order the papers would go in about um all the things that were in there and i would drill the the, the people who worked under me my subordinates I'd, I'd drill them about how to go through this and what the importance of each document and the importance of the key points to hit on each document and saying uh, like a, a good example of this is talking about maintenance how to submit maintenance requests we were getting so many phone calls just constant phone calls that we could not keep up with answering the phone. It was it was a constant challenge. And so we're looking for ways to not answer the phone. And, um, or I shouldn't say not answer the phone, reduce the number of phone calls is a better way of saying it. Um, and and so uh, we're looking for ways to reduce the number of phone calls that were coming through. And we realized, well, we have a lot of phone calls that were people calling in for maintenance requests. And so we did two things to try and address this. The first one was when we have people call in for maintenance requests, we'd say um hey that sounds like a really big concern um if you can actually submit that through your online portal that's going to be the best way to get it directly to the maintenance coordinator as quickly as possible and if there's any pushback whatsoever then we just put it down ourselves and send it through and say yeah we'll take care of this time don't worry but for future reference this is the best way of doing it in in the future and that we start teaching people about how to reduce that but then when it comes to the actual movement process we'd have a whole sheet where we say this is your portal. You can, you know, pay your rent on the portal. You can look at your lease in the portal. You have, um, but the, one of the important things is you can submit a maintenance request in the portal and this will go directly to the maintenance coordinator to go and do all these things. And by doing that, we're able to actually, again, establish the expectations, establish that if you have maintenance requests, this is what you do. You're not texting it in. You're not submitting it through Facebook. We had some people trying to go into our like uh tenant Facebook page and uh, submit maintenance requests on a tenant Facebook page. Um, there would be, you're not submitting it through, again, phone calls. It's all coming through ideally one single source. And um, again, that's just one element about it. But it was basically done set up as a sales process just to establish those expectations ahead of time.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, expectation setting is the entire name of the game mm-hmm. for anything that you do in life. Like when we bring a new investor in, The proper thing is to onboard them with proper expectations on what they can experience and what they can uh, understand i mean at red maples one of the things that we do in our sales process is we're going to analyze their profit margin after uh, management expenses and fees and maintenance and taxes and insurance we're going to analyze their interest coverage ratio and we're going to analyze their leverage that they currently have on their portfolio and if you don't meet the minimum expectations that we're looking for that are within industry benchmarks then it's going to be hard-pressed for me to be able to take on management of your portfolio because I don't want to be in the position with you where you're financially upside down and you can't afford to take care of your property. You can't establish the proper reserves. That You don't have a clear understanding of what you're going to do with your goals and your ambitions with this property. Are you selling it in the next six months? Like If you're going to sell it in the next six months, we might not be a good partner for you.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So these are things that you have to look at and you have to set proper expectations with people right up front so that they know who they're dealing with. My wife uh, and I married up, by the way, I I learned a lot (laughs) of stuff from my wife. She's incredibly intelligent. She's the dean uh, with her doctorate of a master's nursing program for a very large college. And she taught me, she said, you know, you need to learn to be firm with people up front and then be forgiving as the relationship goes on and as they've earned that trust with you. And so as is, is I'm firm up front and set proper expectations and go in the proper direction, look, I'd rather unsell or not sell somebody. I'd rather not lease to somebody. Going through mm-hmm. the proper process, explain to them like, hey, you have to have renter's insurance before you move into one of our properties. And they say back to me, well, I don't want to buy renter's insurance. So we might not be a good fit. And that's okay. Like I don't have to sell every person that I talk to. What I have mm-hmm. to do is establish a good relationship. What I have to do is be in agreement with people. What I have to have is a good partnership with people. And if you can partner with experienced professionals who know what they do and who care about their tenants, that's what property management is all about. At least, even even from an investor or third party or owning your own properties, you can mitigate a lot of risk by doing things right.
0: So, what are some things that you do to screen the investors that you end up working with?
1: Yeah, so like uh, when we we look at their leverage ratios, we look at their uh, profit margin, and then we look at their interest coverage ratio. And we're going to make sure that those things are in line with industry benchmarks uh, prior to bringing that investor on board with us the other thing that we like to do with investors um, right up front is to get an entire uh, glimpse and understanding of what their goals are what their needs are what they're trying to achieve with the property so that i have a good understanding the other things that i'm going to do is make sure i get a management agreement right i want to know are they currently locked into a management agreement with somebody else or when does that management agreement expire? How do they get out of that management agreement if they really are looking to move and they're unhappy with where they're at? Because if you've got another four months on your management agreement because you've locked into a year agreement, I need to tell you that up front and let you know, like, hey, we can't do anything for four more months. And that's okay. You've got four more months with the current company that you're at, and then we can transition into the company that you wanna be at. So those are some things that I do up front just to make sure that everybody's on the same page, proper expectations are aligned, proper things are set. Uh, You know, I I let my marketing, uh, which is a lot of educational-based stuff, uh, doing things like this podcast, those types of things. um, I let my marketing do a lot of the heavy lifting for me, giving the information to an investor ahead of time about who we are, how we work, uh, additional education, things they need to know about. And my goal with my marketing, here's the the secret to the way that I I market for property management. I give you so much expertise and information and just sure knowledge of how to do this, I give away all the secrets. I give away the secret sauce. And I want you to say, I don't want to do all that. I want an experienced person who knows how to do all that, do it with me. And so if you want a good partner that can do it with you that's experienced in this industry, then by all means, we're the right fit.
0: Uh, so do you have any um, culture match questions that you go through or how do you identify if the investor is someone that matches culturally with your objectives?
1: So, I don't know that I have a cultural match with my Mm -hmm. objectives, but I wanna know what their anticipated outcome is from an investing standpoint. I wanna know, do they wanna acquire more properties? I wanna know how many current properties they have, not just in our market, but in other markets. I wanna know how they manage their property management relationship, what their expectations are for fees. I want to know what they've been charged for in the past. I want to know what things have frustrated them about their manager in the past. Like these are types of things that I want to know upfront because here's the thing. If let's say that, you know, paying the monthly management fee is something that's frustrated them forever. They Mm -hmm. just, they can't stand seeing the monthly management fee on their deal. Then we're probably not a good fit. Like it's okay, (laughs) but we're going to charge you a monthly management fee you know, and mm-hmm. it's gonna be on your deal every single time, every single month, unless the property's vacant.
0: I see. Um, so, have you had it, any situations where you've brought on an investor and then after you've brought them on, there is some, they're unhappy with some of the ways that, that you're you're doing things. Maybe they, again, going back to some of the things that we mentioned earlier, they are wanting to be more, uh, they're not wanting to, to take the right, same care that you expect the properties. They want to be a little less caring towards the tenants or any of those kind of issues.
1: So before we started Red Maples uh, with other management organizations, is out, like I had mentioned earlier, I was a VP of strategic accounts for a local management organization. And I will tell you that that organization in their sales process didn't have the things defined and built out that we currently do right now. Um, and so uh, this is something that I've learned on how to establish these proper relationships and proper boundaries over time. And so working for this organization, I was following their their metrics, their presentation, their pitch deck, and all that kind of stuff, and teaching it to our team. And they, they would bring people on that were would not take care of properties. They brought on a property that would sit vacant for nine months, and the owner didn't want to put any money into it. They just wanted us to do the lawn care on it, and that was it. Like, these are not relationships that I want to open up and establish right now. And so I'm okay telling an investor like hey this isn't a good fit. I don't know how many times I've said that on the podcast so far but like it's it's okay that a tenant doesn't want to rent from me. It's okay that an investor doesn't want to work for me. I want to work with people who want to work with me and work with people who care about their tenants who understand that we seek the truth in every situation whether that's bringing on a new investor or not whether that's putting in a tenant into our property. Look, if I can if I find during the screening process that on one check stub, your annual income says this, and on your other check stub, your annual income doesn't in- show the increase from your previous check stub and the exact amount that it should, then we might not be a good fit to work together. Like, it's just one way that I look at screening a check stub to make sure that a tenant's a good fit to work with us. So if that's not the case, look, I'm okay telling them no. I'm okay telling an investor no. I'm okay telling an employee no that this wouldn't be a good fit. I don't need to hire every single person that we interview. <laughs> right, And it's the same same way. We're looking for the right fit for our organization. so we can continue to grow properly. we can continue to build our established brand recognition and brand reputation. You know, Red Maples in the St. Louis area in just a year and a half, uh, we opened we opened the brokerage in October of 21. And in just a little over a year and a half, our name has exploded in the St. Louis area. There is more investors who are hearing about red maples. I had a guy call me from Malaysia. Wow. And asked me to manage his properties. Wow. So, so when you do things right, your name spreads
0: and people see, and that's what we're hoping to do with red maples. That 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 is really cool. So you, you mentioned uh, employees. Um, so this is a, a great question to go on to, is what are some things that you look for when hiring top talent?
1: So I am one of those people that I wanna understand that the person can actually do the role that they're mm-hmm. capable for. And so during the interview process, like for instance, if I'm going to hire a new leasing agent, we don't have a need to hire a leasing agent right now, but if I was going mm-hmm. to hire a leasing agent, I will give you an example of what I would do. I would build some relationship with him up front, and I might ask him the question, Along the lines of, what do you like to do outside of work for fun to keep the stress down? Because we know sales can be stressful, you know. So so what do you do to keep your stress down? What do you like to do for fun outside of work? And they might tell me, oh, I like to go camping. And then later on in the sales process, I'll ask the question, can you teach me how to go camping? And I want to see how they present. I want to actually see a demonstration of their skill during the interview process. So customer service. I might have to push back a role play with somebody and ask them, "Hey, do you mind if we role play a second?" And I want to see them in action. I want to see what they do naturally, what their skills are, what they've been trained on. If it's a maintenance tech for a specific maintenance position, either AI want to know them, I want to see pictures of the work that they've done before, I want to see a reference of somebody that they've done work for before. Like I want to actually vet the skill that they have. Number 1. The second thing that I'm going to look at once I have skill is personality. So their profession and then their personality. I want to know, does this person have a good uh, uh, personal interaction with me? Or is it hard to get conversation going with them? Because we look for people on our team that can we can brainstorm and talk things through with and maybe might challenge the, the, the process, but they're going to challenge it in a respectful way. They're going to approach it from, hey, have you thought about doing something like this before? As opposed to, hey, we need to fix this. It's broken. Like okay, that we it may be, but let's not say things to each other like that. Let's be kind. So uh, what is their what is their professionalism inside the office going to be like? How are they how are they going to work? And then the last thing that I'm going to interview them for is their promotion. So do they have the ability to be promotable? Do they have leadership skills? Do they have things that are that are specific to what I w- would look for if they were the manager of the department that we're hiring them for? So are do they have the ability to be promoted? And if they don't have those three characters, characteristics, their personality, their profession, and they're promotable, then they're probably not a good fit for our organization.
0: Those are some uh, some really good tips. Um, I especially like where you're talking about asking them to uh, tell you, give you basic instructions to walk you through how to do the thing. Uh, one of the things I would do when I would hire people is I would try to get them to tell a story. I have a belief that if people are able to communicate well through stories that if they can give an anecdote about something and and do it in a compelling way that's going to help them to talk to to uh, people on the phone and to prospects and and tenants and to communicate information in a more engaging way and so i try to look for for people to give stories but i like the idea of asking someone to give you instructions on how to do a thing they know how to do well because oftentimes that's what's going to be involved especially like answering a phone call someone calls in and says oh my furnace stopped working and you want to explain hey did you just turn the light switch off that turns off the furnace um, and and trying to walk them through those instructions well now you know that they actually can follow those instructions and give those instructions in a very good easy way to understand so i really like that tip um so uh yeah that's also to, to remember that one for sure
1: Good. I'm glad I could share some information that uh, has been instrumental in your growth and development because, th- see, that's what these—that's what we do this for, right? We don't just do these these podcasts just to, to talk mm-hmm. about our story and to talk about ourselves and our profession, but we also do it to learn. Like, yeah. I've learned some stuff from you already in this podcast that I'm taking away that I want to make <laughs> sure I take back. I'm going to make sure that in my interview process, people tell me good stories. Like, that's important. <laughs>
0: yeah well i'll actually i'll spend on that just a little bit so give give some background on that um my background before doing property management was in um film production and so i had a lot of experience with stories and creating stories and um there's a a book by uh i'm blanking on the name of the uh, uh joseph campbell there we go joseph campbell um he it's one of the most common books about telling stories and, and story arcs and all these ideas and there's a uh, another person also blinking on his name, but he brought Cassie the idea of story brand. You may have heard of story brand before. Okay. Um, and basically, the idea is you create a brand for your company where you're positioning the, um, let's say, the, the investor that you're trying to bring onto your company as the hero of it and walking through this hero's journey. And it's all about story and, and structuring stories. And so, um, taking those same ideas of having uh, the your prospects be the hero of their own story and you're the guide guiding them from their story then if we can have people in the company who are able to communicate well in stories and understand this way of branding that they're the guide the other person's a hero and understanding how it fits within a story then it helps them to be just a better team player and fit better within the organization so that that's the broader scope of, of the idea behind why I think story is important, but... Archie, um, what
1: an amazing story about stories that I just learned
0: <laughs> to keep boring. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so, then I want to go all... So, we, we talked about the the tenant side of things. We talked about the investor side of things and employees. There's a third or fourth, depending on how you look at it, uh, leg to the chair, and that's vendors. Um, how do you approach acquiring, finding good vendors and keeping good vendors, and, and maintain that vendor relationship? So
1: we specifically often talk about the trifecta for the real estate investor. Um, There's three parts of the triangle that are so important that you understand. The first one is that the investor is constantly seeking out new opportunities for growth and expansion. The second thing is that they're implementing effective management systems and maximizing returns and expenses. And the third thing that we typically teach is building a strong foundation through proper due diligence and market research, right? So you have to be able to do all of the three things in the triangle in order to be an effective investor. Now, you can outsource these things, right? You can, you can outsource effectively implementing your management systems and maximizing the returns. You can outsource people to do the strong foundation through due diligence and market research but you got to be willing to pay for those things the same is true with finding a vendor to do work for you so you've got to constantly be seeking new vendors you've got to constantly be looking at the foundation and the the market that the, of the vendor base that's available and you have to constantly be putting in systems in place to improve your likelihood to recruit vendors, right? So everybody all day, every day should be seeking vendors in your organization. As you're driving from property to property, you see people, you meet people, you go to networking groups, you meet people, you're putting them into your marketing list. But then just like an interview process, you've gotta interview them, you've gotta do the research, you've gotta properly onboard them to your organization or the vendor relationship will fail. Oftentimes, vendors think that property management companies are out to just get cheap prices and they don't even want to work with management companies anymore. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there's a lot of vendors that are like, they used to be in the business five, six, seven years ago. And now they're like, nah, man, I only do retail work. I don't do, I don't do property management work anymore. You guys want me to do everything for cheap. And, and to a certain degree, we did that. We did that to the vendor. So now what do we have to do? We have to undo that to the vendor. We have to be part of the advocates and the champions on on a proper process, proper approach, proper relationships. Look, here's the thing I know. In relationships, there's different levels of relationship with people. There's people in the crowd. Those Those are people that are outside of your realm. Those are the people that you send your marketing materials to. Those are people that you send your positive messages to, your positive vibes to. The crowd is reached by your messaging. Then you have your core relationships. In your core relationships, what's so awesome about core relationships are, these are people that know of you. These are people that are on your email list. These are people that, that you have a, a normal conversation with. They might come to your networking groups. These are people that you touch on a regular basis that help to go out and spread that positive message for you. And then you have your key relationships. The goal of a vendor is to get them from that, that crowd relationship into a key relationship with your organization and so how do you how do you establish trust to move somebody from the crowd to the key you have to be constantly finding those people who have the right characteristics in order to be a part of that key team that you have that you're building with and they need to know as much as they're helping you build your business you care about them and you're helping them build their business
0: as if um, do you do you have like a um a, a mission statement or or anything like that that you use in your company to um as like a, a guiding star to help your team understand yeah the directions can go?
1: A, we absolutely have a mission statement. We have a it's more of it's more than a mission statement. It's more of mm-hmm. a who we are, why we exist, and what we do. So who we are, Red Maples is an institutional style asset management company that's built for scaling real estate investors. Why do we exist? We believe that real estate investing should be a part of everyone's financial portfolio our goal is to help investors achieve financial goals through real estate faster than they thought possible we provide institutional style management services for our investors and what do we do great property managers are three things they're honest they're hardworking, and they're effective communicators they're willing to have the tough conversations with tenants employees and investors to assist them in achieving and reaching their
0: desired outcomes and goals so that's who we are, why we exist, and what we do. So, do you think that those that mission statement um, does it does it have an overlap with your the way you approach vendors, or is it just more focused on the investor side of things?
1: Well, uh, in a perfect world, if a vendor gets into our ecosystem and learns the uh, education that we teach, they're yeah. probably going to be investing in real estate in some way, shape, or form, and we're probably going to be managing their
0: real estate for them. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. Um, so, uh, going back to the, the uh, shoot, I lost my, I missed my nose here. Um, so, I understand also that uh, you you have, I'm sorry, I just totally lost my train of thought here. Let me try and recircle around here. Um, apologize for that. No worries,
1: um, it happens all the time, especially in this industry, RJ. You know, <laughs> you get started on one thing and a million other things pop up on you, and so that starts to happen in our brains. We start going in one direction and then all these other things start popping up.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, had some more questions about the vendors, but um, that that whole, uh, uh, yeah, like I said, it, it escaped my mind. So I guess I'll circle back to um, some things I had about the uh, employees and, and, and the staff. Um, one of the things that I've had a lot of experience with as far as like developing staff is that we would have a basically a, a set of books um, and, and some great resources that we'd use as partially training guides. Like, um, some of the books would be um, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink was one of them. Um, another one was Never Split the Difference by, man, I'm not doing good with names today. Um, but uh, yeah, Never Split the Difference is number one. W- are there any books that you would say are some really valuable books to help develop the team and help develop property managers?
1: Yeah, so uh, for sure. One book I wrote back in the day um, was called Leadership Coaching as a Strategy for Employee Development. And throughout my career, I have given that book away as kind of an instruction manual to people who are aspiring into leadership in our organizations. Um, not so much because I wanted to sell a whole bunch of books. it's not why I wrote it. I wrote it because I wanted to be able to pass on to them some, a resource that they could use to learn to manage the way that I did faster. And so one of the things in that book I talk about is the cycle of resistance. And it says that 60% of the time, change projects are going to fail. So 60% of the time, no matter what's going to happen, Harvard did this study, and they found that it was either Harvard or New York Times, I can't remember which one it was, but they found that 60% of the time, projects are going to fail. It was the wrong time in the organization, wrong time in the economy, not enough resources allocated, a whole bunch of litany of reasons, but 60% of the time, they fail. And then what happens is, is that managers blame their employees. They say, you failed. And when they say you failed, what ends up happening is is that there's a downturn in the business. Maybe the employees are not as productive, or maybe just the business in, in, in general is continuing to struggle, and maybe there's a downturn in the economy, whatever it happens to be. So the employees see that and they feel it. And so there's this negative momentum that's, that's happening, and now there's a shift that happens in a market, a new trend, something that's going on, and so the employees don't buy into it. They don't want to do it. And so then the project fails again. And so this cycle continues to happen over and over and over again, and I saw I saw it happen in multiple organizations from bad bosses. Quite mm-hmm. frankly, here's the problem. The manager says you're the problem when really if they would just take 100% responsibility and say I failed at this, I made a mistake, what can I do differently next time in order to have an impact in this business, then what happens is the employee buys into that manager because uh-huh. the manager, when it's successful, points to their employees and says, what a great job all these people in our organization are doing. And so I wanted to teach that philosophy. I wanted to teach how costly it was to the team. I wanted to show people how expensive it was to deal with turnover in our organization, everything from miscommunication to unclear goals. And I actually calculate the cost in this book. And so that's why I wrote the book. So Leadership Coaching is a Strategy for Employee Development is a book that I've given away, even though I wrote it to a number of employees. I, you know, I, I'm not a bestseller. I'm not, it's not the new number one on the New York Times list. It was a tool that I wrote to utilize to help my team grow. I also have recommended books like 10X Rule by Grant Cardone, um, The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Uh, I've written uh, High Performance Habits by Brendan Burchard. These are books and I've recommended along the way to get people so that, because I can't say to them, hey, you need to go to the gym and work out in the morning so that you can lose stress. That might be offensive to somebody. But if they read Brandon Bouchard's book on high performance habits, they'll learn that high performers, they have a morning routine and part of that morning routine is that they work out. Yep. You know? So th- th- those are some things that I've recommended along the way.
0: Yeah, that's that's actually something we, again, talked about in another episode was that, and I, I talked about myself actually, that um, I never went to the gym until like 2020 and it was just, it was just never anything I did. And when I finally did in going to the gym, it was where, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is this amazing. I feel like a lot of stress. I can just go there and get rid of my stress. Now I have more energy. This is so so beneficial. And um, my boss at the time, who, you know, he would go to the gym rather regularly, he just looked at me and was like, yeah, yep, yep, that, I know, I know, this is what everybody's been saying for a long time. You're just catching up now, so. Um, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but, I mean, if you can, for the people that are watching on
1: uh, on video here, you'll see that I'm wearing a jacket that says ATA. And it's, uh, yes, I'm a part of ATA. Yes, I've achieved my black belt, but that's not why I wear this jacket. I wear it to remind me of my daughter who took third in the world for ATA black belts, eight and under girls uh, when, she was, uh, when she first achieved her black belt. And it, that, that, is, that story was inspiring to me. It brings tears to my eyes just thinking about right now about how much effort and how much work and the discipline that she had to put in. And it reminds me that we all start as white belts. You know, we all start as beginners. We all have that initial feeling when we first start in a new career or job or role. And then we gain some skills and we're tested on those skills to see if we can take on more and do more and be more. And eventually we achieve to a certain level, but then you have you, you, you become, you know, unconsciously you're incompetent. And then you become consciously. Incompetent, and then you become consciously competent, and we can all kind of get to that level. But then there's this whole different level that that I've been trying to shift into my entire career, which is where we become unconsciously competent. And that was the level that my daughter was at, that I watched her be, you know, girl after girl after girl on all these different matches all year long, take number one in state, number one in district, and have the right mentality, the right mindset going into all this stuff. And the outcome ultimately was somebody took third in the world at eight years old. If she can do it at eight years old, I should be able to do it in my career at thirty-seven.
0: <laughs> wow, that's that is really impressive. Um, I, I'm not even sure what to say beyond that. That's a that's a really good example. Um, so we are coming to the end of the hour here, and you already talked about your book. Um, but I'd like to ask you: um, Is there anything else that you'd like to to plug and talk about?
1: Yeah. So viewers can check us out online. I've got NathanBushMBA.com. That's NathanBushMBA. That's my personal brand, my personal website. That's where I've got books and resources and tools and different stuff that's on there. Um, Then our property management company, if you'd like to learn more about that, is Red Maples. That's Red-Maples.com. There's a hyphen in there. So Red-Maples.com. And you can download a case study online and you can learn about that, uh, about how we increased rents at $127 $127 on 24 units for one of the investors that we manage for, or you can learn about our portfolio assessment tool uh, that's
0: online here,
1: or you can learn about some of that stuff at redmaples.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nathan. I really appreciate the time you spent with me, and I, I know I've learned a lot, and I'm sure, again, my as always, my my audience as as well. So it's been a real pleasure.
1: Yeah, thanks for affording me the opportunity to be here with you. It's uh it's an honor, and I'll leave you, you, you and your audience with this. Maya Angelou said, "People don't often remember what you say; they surely won't remember what you do, but they do remember how you make them feel." And I hope you leave this podcast feeling inspired, encouraged, and motivated.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that, Nathan, and to my audience, thank you so much for joining in today. If you are watching us on YouTube, please also know that we are here on Spotify and everywhere else where you can find podcast as well and if you're watching it on spotify or listening to on spotify we do have it on youtube and so please don't forget to subscribe follow us on all these locations also instagram facebook wherever you're at we're going to be there and it's the pmp podcast on all these locations thank you so much for joining us today my name is rj isaac have a great day